0: Hosts of Common Sense Investing have been helping their clients and listeners make sense of the markets for nearly three decades. Using a conservative, diversified, value-oriented approach to investing, they strive to make you a better educated, well-informed investor. And now here's your host, Eric Whiteman. You've heard it before. The monkeys are better stock pickers than we are. That was started by a Princeton economist who is famous for suggesting that blindfolded monkeys throwing darts at the stock pages of the newspaper could build a portfolio that would do just as well as one chosen by expert money managers. Now, a recent study suggests that blindfolded monkeys may do better than institutional investors. And it's not on the buy side. It's on the sell side. Now, these researchers, researchers from MIT, the University of Chicago, Carnegie Mellon, these aren't the bottom of the barrel. They looked at more than 4 million trades for almost 800 portfolios over a period of about 15 years. And they found that institutional investors cost themselves as much as 1% per year compared to a strategy of just simply selling the holdings at random. The reason why? Asymmetric allocation of cognitive resources. In English, that means investors spend way more time analyzing what they buy than what they sell. And over my 20 years of managing money, I can tell you that's exactly what I see. So I think there are two things we can take away here. One, you need a strategy for selling. Having a drunk monkey throwing darts in a room with you is not, I'll repeat, is not the preferred strategy. Not after what happened last time. When I'm researching a company, I'm looking at two things. One, is it a good business? In other words, do they have a great management team? Is the leadership there? Do they have good end markets? You know, they're not selling buggy whips, right? And then question number 2. How much do I want to pay for the company? That second question, what do I want to pay for the business requires you figure out to figure out what the business is worth. And I would suggest you pay far less than what you think it's worth. You have to give yourself this margin of safety in case you screw up your calculations. I'm always saying we're trying to buy a dollar for 70 cents and sell it for a dollar twenty-five. And I would suggest that the time you decide when to sell is the same time you decide to buy. The second thing we can take away is there are no monkeys throwing darts. Why are they always dragging the monkeys into this? Welcome to this edition of Common Sense Investing. I'm your host, Eric Whiteman. Got a question? email me at podcast, that's plural, podcast at xmlfg.com. Most of you know that I'm a value geek from way back. So today, I thought I'd spend a little time on philosophy. And later after the break, we'll talk about the newest addition to the portfolio, a stock that I started buying a couple of weeks ago. Spring has officially arrived. It arrived last week, and that means opening day for baseball. Just around the corner. Since my team is out of the March Madness and my bracket is busted, it's time for me to move on. Warren Buffett used to use a baseball analogy to articulate the discipline of value investors. He said, A long term value oriented investor is like a batter in a game where there are no balls or strikes called. Value investors allow dozens, maybe even hundreds of pitches to go by, including a lot of pitches that other batters would swing at. As a value investor, you have to be a student of the game. You have to learn from every pitch you see, which ones to swing at, which ones to let go. You can't be influenced by the ways others around you are performing, they're motivated by their own results. You have to have patience and be willing to wait until you're thrown a pitch that you can handle an undervalued investment opportunity. Meaning, I don't think it's wise to invest in businesses that you don't understand, or even ones that are excessively risky. A lot of investors feel completely. Held to be fully invested at all times. They act like the umpire is calling balls and strikes, mostly strikes, and forcing them to swing at almost every pitch, foregoing batting selectivity for frequency. Many individual investors, like amateur ball players, simply can't distinguish a good pitch from a wild one. But They take solace in knowing that most market participants feel compelled to swing as often as they do. For a value investor, a pitch not only has to be in the strike zone, it has to be in the sweet spot. Your results are going to be a whole heck of a lot better when you're not pressured to invest prematurely. Never feel like you're missing out. There may be times when you don't even lift the bat off your shoulder. Remember, the cheapest stocks in an overvalued market may still be overvalued. You don't want to settle for an investment that you think is going to offer a a relatively safe 10% type of return if you thought another stock offering an equally safe 15% type of return is going to materialize. An investment has to be purchased at a discount from what you think its underlying value is. This makes it a good absolute value, but being a good absolute value alone isn't sufficient. You have to choose only the best absolute values among those that are currently out there. So a stock that's trading at one half of its underlying value might be attractive, but another one trading at one fourth of its worth is an even better bargain. And I would suggest that you continually compare potential new investments with your current holdings in order to ensure that you own only the most undervalued opportunities available. Now, don't be afraid to re-examine your current holdings as new opportunities appear, even if that means realizing losses on the sale of your current holdings. In other words, No investment should be considered sacred when a better one comes along. Sometimes a dozen good pitches are going to come at you. In panicky markets, for example, a number of undervalued securities, the number of undervalued securities increases and the degree of undervaluation grows. In these rip roaring markets, both the number of undervalued securities and their degree of undervaluation, well, it goes down. When attractive opportunities are plentiful, shift through all the bargains for the ones that are most attractive. When the attractive opportunities are scarce, well, be self-disciplined. Don't swing at bad pitches all this baseball talk has me craving a hot dog. So let's step away, take a quick break. When we come back, we'll take a look at the markets and we'll talk about a new stock that I've added over the last few weeks. This is Common Sense Investing. I'm Eric Whiteman and we are back in a moment. worked hard. You've saved and invested along the way. Now you want to make sure that all your hard work pays off so you could do what matters most to you, whether it's paying for the kids' college expenses, giving back to your community, or ensuring a safe and comfortable retirement. Now is the time to start planning. Now is the time to get the advice you deserve. We have a team of experienced professionals who can help you navigate the investment landscape. Please call us at 301-770-5234 or visit us at www. .xmlfg.com. Well, thank you and welcome back to this edition of Common Sense Investing. I'm your host Eric Whiteman. So glad you could join me today. Starting in May, we're going to be holding a series of seminars, discussions really, about increasing your wealth and protecting your nest egg. These are going to be smaller events so that we can spend a good deal of the time taking questions, the questions that matter most to you. The beginning of May will be in Bethesda, and then mid-month will be be in the Tyson's Corner, Virginia area. So stay tuned for details. We'll be putting up a registration page on our website in just a couple of weeks. Or you could also email us at podcast, which is plural, podcast at xmlfg.com. By the way, that's our website is xmlfg.com. The S&P was down last week. Then it was down on global growth concerns. And that was after hitting a new cycle high midweek. Economies in Europe and China, well, they continued to deteriorate, causing uneasiness that the problems overseas could affect the US markets. You have Brexit and you have the US trade negotiations with China. All those are raising additional concerns. And if you watch the financial news shows, the focus was on yields. And that's because the yield curve briefly inverted. That's when the longer maturities Uh, the longer maturity bonds, yield less than the shorter maturity bonds. In this case, I'm talking about the 10-year treasury yielding less than the one-year and the three-month treasury bills. Now, that's the first time that's happened since 2007. And in the past, this has been a, a pretty good predictor of a recession. For sure, our economy is not as robust as last year. When we had ample stimulus, but I don't see an imminent recession either. Sales of previously owned homes in February, well, they rose at the fastest rate since 2015. Wages are growing at the best pace since 2009, and most of the projections are for that to continue. The LEI, that's the leading economic index, well, it rose first. February with the data suggesting a loss of momentum, yes, but no signs of negative growth approaching. Fed Fed Chairman Powell, he echoed the same thing at a press conference last week when he said that they don't project any more rate hikes this year and that they're done winding down their bond portfolio because of rising wages, low unemployment, and high consumer confidence. It seems to me that we're on fairly solid ground but the headlines over the trade talks and the rate of global growth is going to have volatility staying with us. The technicals, well, they're telling you to be more cautious here. Although the S&P 500 index climbed to a new recovery high last week, this was unconfirmed by the Dow Industrials, the Dow Transports, uh, the Russell 2000 small cap index. On top of that, The S&P financial sector has plunged to the lowest level versus the S&P 500 since October of 2016. Now, that's important because the financial sector is considered to be a reliable indicator of the direction of interest rates, the economy, and the stock market. In a healthy bull market, most areas are moving in harmony with the primary trend, and that's just, well, it's missing now. The fact that just 54% of the S&P 500 stocks are above their 200-day moving average versus 65% at the mid-February peak is another indication that market breadth is deteriorating. When the S&P 500 was moving through that 2,800, 2,850 zone in January, of 2018, more than 80 percent of its stocks were above their 200-day moving average. Now, looking at investor psychology, which I believe is a contrary indicator, the most recent report from II—that's Investors Intelligence—they track the opinion of Wall Street letter writers. It shows that the bullish bullish camp. Expanded for the fifth straight week and is sitting at the highest levels since the first week in October 2018. Investor optimism or complacency is also seen in the reports from the CBOE, that's the Chicago Board of Options Exchange, and they show that the demands for puts vanished last week. Investors buy puts in anticipation that stocks will decline over the near term. Further evidence of investor enthusiasm for stocks is found by the fact that $25 billion flowed into U.S. equity ETFs last week. According to Ned Davis Research, this was the third largest weekly inflow over the last two years and the highest since the S&P 500 peaked in September 2018. So the technical indicators are urging you to be cautious here. Now, with that said, I have added a new position to the portfolio over the last few weeks, and it's Applied Materials, symbol A M A T. It's trading right around $40, paying a 2% dividend. If you're not familiar with the name, Applied Materials is one of the world's largest suppliers of equipment for the fabrication of semiconductors, uh, flat panel LCD screens, solar cells, and modules. They don't make the chips, they make the stuff that makes the chips. And as you know, I like the semis. I talked about them a few weeks ago, and I had been a buyer of Intel symbol INTC, which I think is too expensive to buy now. But I don't think AMAT is too expensive. They break their business down into three parts: semiconductor systems, global services, and display markets. And the semis are about 65 eh, 60 to 65% of their business. And I think that the odds are high that most of the carnage in the semi equipment stocks is over. If you go back a year ago, AMAT was trading around $62-$63 and here it is now at $40. Well, that's going to tell you, this isn't a core type stock. This is what I call a longer term trade because it's much too cyclical to hold forever. There's a really pessimistic backdrop out there, but I think there are three things to keep in mind. First, you have the trade policy affecting them. Not only are 90% of sales from overseas, but a large chunk of that is from China. So any relief is a positive. Second, emerging market manufacturing is actually showing some signs of life here. So things may be less grim than what's being predicted. And third, as I said before, when I talked about the semiconductors, semiconductor sales are probably going to continue to decelerate for the next six months, but the market is acting like the liquidation cycle is in the later innings. As a matter of fact, all three semiconductor capital equipment makers have shared a similar message in their conference calls. That, and that message is is that the bottom of the semi-cycle is, is, if not in, then it's at least in sight. So what has AMAP been doing as their stock has been decline, uh, declining? Well, they've been buying back shares. They've aggressively bought back shares in the last quarter and the last year. As a matter of fact, they've reduced their shares, outstanding share count by about 10% over the last year. And of course that helps their earnings look better too. In my opinion, this is a good company. Cyclical, yes, but good. They have a solid balance sheet, which enables them to pay the dividend and buy back shares. Value line gives them a plus for their balance sheet. I think this is one that you might want to look at under $40. As always, you want to do your own research and see if it's appropriate for you. So we've run out of time here. If you enjoy the show, please let your friends know. We'll be back next week, next Wednesday. And until then, remember, it's just as important to protect your assets as it is to grow them. You've listened to the show. Now it's time for the really good stuff. So listen up it's the disclosures. The things I talked about during the show, well, they're just my opinion and may or may not necessarily be those of the XML Financial Group. Don't construe this as personalized advice or a solicitation to buy or sell a security. No, no. You should consult your own financial advisor to see if it's appropriate for you. It's also not a substitute for tax or legal advice. I'd suggest you get someone who's qualified in these areas so you can get the